Hi Govan and welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek and in this video I want to go into the history of the Ring of Barahir. If you've seen Peter Jackson's movies you've seen it referenced as the ring that Aragorn wears and it has some significance. If you've read the Silmarillion you already know the story but if you haven't really seen either of those but you've heard the term you really don't know anything about it. So I want to take a little bit of time and go into the history of that particular piece of historical item in Tolkien's world and kind of explore where it comes from, what its significance is, and how Aragorn ends up with it. So let's get started. So first off, the Ring of Barahir is called the Ring of Barahir because it, as far as its possession by men goes, its first possessor was Barahir, the father of Beren, who is the main protagonist in the Silmarillion story of Beren and Luthien. So the at the time that all that occurs, the war of the elves against Morgoth and the attempt to recover the Silmarils is still very hot and heavy. There's a lot of fighting going on. Morgoth is still more or less contained. Uh, he hasn't won enough of a victory against the elves yet to really control basically all of Middle-earth that was kind of contested at the time, which later does occur. But Barahir is one of the early uh, leaders of men in one of the very decisive battles in the, in the contest between the elves and Morgoth. Now at the same time, there's an elf lord who is one of the ones who came back from Valinor He's one of the more important of the Noldor who did that, and his elvish name is Finrod. He's also given a dwarvish name, Felagund, which has something to do with the fact that he lives in caves. I don't remember the exact translation, but it has something to do with cave hewer or something like that. But he's the one who actually owns the ring uh, that we know of as the Ring of Barahir at the time that all this takes place. He is the original possessor, as far as anybody knows. Um... And in one of the major battles that takes place in uh, the ongoing war with Morgoth, he at one point uh, is kind of trapped and his, he and his people are about to get killed. Barahir and his band of men kind of come in at the last minute and save Finrod Felagund. And as a reward for what Barahir did for him, he gives him his ring uh, which, of course, we know as, if you've seen the movie, is it's in the shape of two serpents kind of intertwined, wearing uh, both of them kind of crowned with golden leaves. There's an emerald in the center. He gives him this ring and says, if you ever need anything from me, bring this to, you know, my kingdom, and you'll be given safe passage, and I, I'll do whatever I can for you. So that's how Barahir ends up with the ring. Now then, the next part of the story is kind of a little removed from that. After that particular battle, part of Middle-earth that had been pretty safe is now not safe. Morgoth manages to take over some fortresses that were held by the elves and some of the area that was held by the elves. And as a result, the homeland of Barahir and his family and his band of men is now no longer free territory. It's controlled by Morgoth. And instead of leaving that and going to where other elves and men are still living in more or less relative security, 
they decide to remain in their homeland area and just remain, I mean, the word Tolkien uses is outlaws. Uh, it seems a strange choice maybe for us in modern times, but he's basically living as a band of uh, vigilantes, more or less, and doing what they can to, you know, ruin the lives of orcs or any other servants of Sauron or Morgoth that they can find. Sauron is actually the person who controls one of the fortresses that Morgoth captures, and he comes into the story a little later. So the next major event that happens is Barahir and his band are betrayed by one of their number who is captured by some orcs and kind of tricked into believing that he's going to get his wife back, who he had believed had been either killed or captured. Um, he betrays them. The only one who's not with them at the time is Baron. Baron then, of course, finds out that they had been killed. He hunts down the group of orcs that had done it, kills them, and recovers the ring. So that's kind of the first part of the story. And then there's really not a whole lot more to the Ring of Bar here until well into the Baron and Luthien story, which is the next segment. So, of course, Baron, after he recovers the ring, he is now a single individual guy who can either stay in the area and continue living as an outlaw, which he does for a little while, but eventually he realizes, I'm going to get captured and that's not going to be any good because there's just one of me and too many orcs. So he eventually leaves and makes his way across um, some m even more forbidding territory, finally into the realm of Doriath, with, which is where Thingol and his daughter Luthien, along with his wife Melian, who is actually a Maya, not an elf, she's a lower class of angel, essentially, where they live. And it's interesting in its own terms, I'm not going to get into it now, how he does that, because he's not really supposed to be able to get in, but he does. And of course he falls in love with Luthien, and Thingol, of course, doesn't really like this idea. You're a man, you're going to marry my daughter who's an elf princess, no, but he kind of sets up an impossible task, says, if you can recover a Silmaril for me, then sure, and Baron laughs it off and says, you sell your daughters for gems, that's cool. Uh, so he, of course, knows that by himself, he's not really going to have much chance of re recovering the Silmaril, but he has the ring of Barahir, so he's got uh, some bargaining power that he can use to get some help from a very powerful lord of elves. So he goes and eventually finds the realm that Finrod Felagund has set up and presents the ring to him and says, you gave this to my father, he's dead, um, but I am coming to claim a favor because, and he of course tells him about Luthien and all this stuff. Finrod is kind of at this point in a hard place because to help him try to recover a Silmaril is basically a suicide mission, but he holds to his end of the bargain, and he personally, along with several other elves that he takes with them, I think roughly 10 or 12, they set out to try to recover the ring, I mean not the ring, the, the uh, Silmaril, and that in itself ends up being a small adventure within the overall adventure of Baron and Luthi, and they end up getting captured by uh, Sauron, who at that time I think was going under a slightly different name. I'm blanking out on it, though. Um, and they get held within a dungeon, 
And one of the interesting things about that is the, there's a, a giant wolf or werewolf that kind of comes in and eats one of them each night, one day in a row, one day after another. And finally, it's just Baron and Feligund left. And it's going to go for Baron and kill him. Feligund manages to break out of the chains, holding him to the wall and wrestles the wolf to death. In, his, in the process, though, he himself gets killed. And so now it's just Baron. So all looks lost. Luthien, however, has escaped the um, vigilance of her father's soldiery and makes it all the way there and rescues Baron by, in Tolkien's world, I mean, this makes p perfect sense, I suppose, essentially singing the, uh, the dungeon into a rubble heap. And, the, you know, that's just... There's no explanation for it, but, you know, elf magic. So it's a fantasy world, and we can do what we want. So she rescues Baron. Eventually, of course, they do recover the Silmaril. And at some point in that process, Morgoth has a really huge werewolf named Karkaroth. And he uh, chased that werewolf, or it may not be werewolf. I think it may just be a standard, standard, I say standard. It's a humongous supernaturally bred wolf, but anyhow, it chases Baron and Luthien down. It itself manages to get into Doriath, which is not really supposed to happen either, but the, uh, before they even get to Doriath, the, uh, wolf manages to bite Baron's hand off, and the hand has the Silmaril in it, and so the Silmaril, because of its, it's got the light of the trees of Valinor, it burns Karkaroth from the inside, and he's just a raving mad wolf at this point and doing all kinds of damage. But Baron survives the hand bite, but he he eventually does get killed in the process of trying to kill the wolf, who they do end up killing, but the uh, Silmaril is recovered, and at this point, Baron dies. So where does the ring end up? Well, as part of the story, Baron is returned to life kind of as a um, pity move by the Valar, who hear Luthien's story, because she dies of just extreme grief, she returns to what are known as the Halls of Mondos, which is kind of the waiting place for elves while they're waiting to either be reincarnated or whatever the next step is in Tolkien's cosmology. And they have pity on her, and they return her to Middle-earth and Baron. And so he still has the ring, and he's alive again. So... They end up having a child who ends up having another child who marries Erendil, who is the child of Tuor and Idril from the Fall of Gondolin story. And, of course, Erendil has two kids, Elros and Elrond. Elros being the first king of Numenor. Elrond, of course, you know. But Elros, of course, ends up inheriting the Ring of Barahir as another heirloom of the, the mannish side of the family, and, of course, it gets passed down to all the other kings of Numenor, eventually making its way to Elendil and, of course, Isildur, because Isildur is the the main survive, the only surviving son of Elendil by the time of the end of the War of the Last Alliance. So it gets passed down through Isildur, Isildur's line, you know, to the next king after him of Arnor, not, Garn, not Gondor, that's kind of a boo-boo on Peter Jackson's part, but we'll cover that in another video. And of course it gets passed down. Eventually the kingdom of Arnor 
and the the North Kingdom that is falls apart, and there are no more kings, but there are chieftains of the Dunedain, and it still gets passed down. But a lot of the heirlooms and the lore is kind of kept in Elrond's house in Rivendell. And so eventually Aragorn comes of age. He is the last of his line at that point. He doesn't have any, he hasn't married or had any kids. He's, but I mean, at the time, he's actually just barely 20 years old. He, he just barely comes of age. Elrond tells him who he is and gives him the heirlooms of his house. That's how he ends up with the Ring of Barahir. So that's more or less the history of the Ring of Barahir, how it comes from the First Age, really early in the First Age, all the way down to Aragorn and how he finally ends up carrying it around. Now, the way Peter Jackson handles it is interesting because it shows that, you know, that it's still there. It's not even really explicitly referenced in the Lord of the Rings so much, I don't think. Um, if it is, it's in the appendices. It's not in the main story. Uh, but it's interesting because Peter Jackson throws that in, which is a cool little tidbit addition to the story that you don't get if you just read the main Lord of the Rings story. And you, But unfortunately, Peter Jackson doesn't really explain it. He just says, oh, it's the Ring of Bar here, and this is what it is. It, he, he connects it to the line of Isildur, but he doesn't explain its significance at all. So now you know why the Ring of Bar here is significant. So I hope you enjoy learning about the Ring of Bar here and where it comes from, why it's important. If you enjoy this kind of stuff, please like and share the video and subscribe to the channel. If you don't want to subscribe to the channel, you can also follow me at Twitter at JRRTLore. And until next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek signing out for the Tolkien Lore channel. Namadier.